Okay. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you that we can be together this morning, and we ask and pray, Lord, your blessing on this time. Lord, as we study and learn this morning about um, the Jehovah's Witness and how we can best respond, we pray that you would give us great wisdom. There's a lot to cover, Lord. Uh, Help us to focus on what's most important. Lord, would you help us to know our own scriptures and know the truth that we might be able to uh, give an answer um, for the hope that we have and that we might be able to do so with gentleness and respect when we have that opportunity. Lord Jesus, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, so for the next few weeks, we are... So, so, Debbie, we are in the middle of apologetics. That's the subject matter for Sunday school this year. The year before, we did biblical theology. The year before that, we did systematic theology. Uh, who knows where we'll go from here, but this year we're doing apologetics. We've covered a whole bunch of different subjects. And so um, for the next several weeks, we're going to start looking at some of the different religions. Uh, so... Um, and cults. So today we're talking about Jehovah's Witness. Next week, um, Brendan is going to talk about Islam. I think Islam first, and then the week after that, Mormonism, and then the week after that, I might do another one. But I'm not sure which which one we should cover. So if you have thoughts on should we talk about Hinduism or should we talk about some other kind of um, Christian cult or Seventh, something like that. Seventh-day Adventist. Seventh-day Adventist might be a good one. That's a, and Carson is in it. such a fine guy. I, lots of people would get mixed up. And get some of the nuance there. Also the Apostolic Reformation. Uh, yeah, the new Apostolic Reformation. So maybe more like stick with some of the Christian cults and maybe we could cover more than one in a Sunday or something mm-hmm. if we somehow mm-hmm. I could be disciplined. perennial problem preparing too much information Um, so that's where we're going and uh, so so that's where we're headed I was just thinking about this subject and how we live in a multi-ethnic pluralistic society thinking about the Great Commission uh, Jesus says um, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The parallel passage from Luke shows us that this this is talking about preaching the gospel, the message of repentance and faith for the forgiveness of sins uh, in Jesus Christ, making disciples of people from all nations, not trying to make disciples of nations, but making disciples of the people from all nations. And in America, um, it's called the melting pot, right? And and it's been called the melting pot for a, a long time, and that's exactly what it is. The, the nations have sort of come to us, which is cool mm-hmm. in a way, because we're told to go and make disciples of all the nations, and all the nations have sort of come here and we could uh, talk and, and reach with many different cultures right around us. Um, at the pharmacy, uh, I've worked with Hindus, Muslims, 
Jehovah's Witness. In fact, my boss was a Jehovah's Witness at the last pharmacy that I worked at, my immediate boss, pharmacist, uh, who ran the, uh, the department. Uh, Hmong, atheists, pagans, I've worked with all these people. These are our neighbors. These are the people that live right around us. Um, have, has anyone ever had a Jehovah's Witness come to their door? Did you stop and talk with them? Yeah. Um, they came back the next week with their elder. Did they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. They, they never came back after I talked to them. <laughs> I was reading something online that um, sometimes they'll blacklist a house. Is that right? Um, yeah, like if, because they don't want their people to go to that house. So I don't know if I was too well versed or... They just knew you were already saved. Or, yes, maybe. I don't know. I doubt maybe that was it, but... Um, the point is, is that we will definitely interact with people from all different kinds of backgrounds, cultures, um, religious faiths, and we want to try to be equipped to talk with them and share the truth with them. And as I was thinking about this um, for today, I was thinking the main thing that we need to know, what, what do you think the main thing is we need to know as we think about engaging with other religions? What's the main thing that we have to know? Yeah, To be kind as we put forth what we believe. Yeah, so there's definitely, uh, bringing us back to what we've been talking about all semester, like this approach, our approach should be with gentleness, Mm -hmm. kindness, etc. I was thinking more along the lines of like just knowledge, because we're going to spend a lot of time talking today, and, and honestly, this is Jehovah's Witness like 101. (laughs) Uh, I got into studying this this week and I realized the more that I studied the more there was to learn and I was like wow this just is like a rabbit hole that never ends it's super deep so this is not going to be like super super deep let's just call this Jehovah's Witness 101 and I'll point you to some resources here uh, that would be helpful for you and understand I am in no way like the Jehovah's Witness expert. Um, But it reminded me of the fact that I don't really need to be a Jehovah's Witness expert. I need to be a Jesus Christ expert. I need to know my Bible. So I was thinking, and this is what the question I was driving at, what's the most important thing we need to know? It's we need to know our own faith. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. We need to be able to point people to the scriptures. You know the the old illustration of the the folks who um, their job is to recognize counterfeit money, mm-hmm. and how do they do it? They get really really good at recognizing the real thing. Exactly, they get really really good at recognizing the real thing. So when a fake comes by, they can immediately point out like, oh. The numbers are off, or oh, the ink is the wrong color, or or the paper is wrong because it doesn't feel right. They know because they know the real thing. And it's the same for us. Um, So as we talk about all this today, and as we talk about Islam, as we talk about all these different faiths, uh, different religious religions or or, uh, Christian cults, um, I think the encouragement for us is you don't have to be an expert on any of these religions. You just know yours. And you have to be willing to talk to people with gentleness and respect. You just have to be able to share. Go ahead, Dan. So uh, a lot of times 
I, I, I assume that, that the person who's engaging me is going to be more clever with their scriptures, even if I <clears throat> kind of have my cheat sheet and I already know. But if I can focus on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came in the flesh, he was suffered and died, was raised from the dead on the third day, ascended to heaven, and is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Yeah. If I have that foundation, yep. firmly, now I, everything else is, generally speaking, noise, I, because my first concern is their well-being. Yep. Mm -hmm. And if, they, if they're missing the boat on Jesus, yeah. nothing else matters. We're, we're talking trivial pursuit beyond that. And, and truly, for me, it is a trivial pursuit, uh, and I'll chase after that because I'm a lover of trivia. The, but if I can focus on keep the main thing the main thing, yep. we're, we're generally going to have a more fruitful conversation. Yeah, 100%. And so I think I listed uh, I have 13 pages of notes. We're not going to be able to get through all that today. Um, I think, let me look here. I listed nine that we could add others. I listed nine areas where Jehovah's Witnesses differ or um, probably the clearer way to say it would be undermine biblical truth, historic Christian teaching. Like nine areas we could discuss. But we're going to focus primarily on the ones that matter the most. So I, I put all this together, and I was like, okay. But but if we but if we're having a conversation with a Jehovah's Witness at our door, like where do we really need to lay our our time? And that's a big part of it. Essentially, I think we we ought to be focusing on Jesus Christ Amen. and who He is. Um, so we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, and if we have time, we'll we'll look at some of these. We'll look at some of the other ones, or I'll at least just make you aware of some of those other ones. Um, before we jump in, uh, these are two books that I was using this week. The first one is called The Kingdom of the Cults by Walter Martin. I don't know if you have this one. Um, the, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. <laughs> um, but this is great. Th this book I think has a book in the book about Jehovah's Witnesses it's over a hundred pages long and I didn't get all the way through it towards the end I was like okay I'm, I need to skim this <laughs> um, a quicker more accessible uh, book was this one Josh McDowell's a ready defense this one has chapters on a bunch of different uh, religions cults etc as well and they're a lot shorter um, easier easier to sort of get through. And then there's a website called Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry, CARM, C-A-R-M. Uh, I looked at one article on their website, but if you go there and you just type in, they have like a, on the left-hand sidebar, they have a list of topics. If you click on Jehovah's Witness, it pulls up this page with like 50 articles that they've written. It's a little overwhelming. So I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> Lots of information there. And uh, I'll share that so you could check them out. It's, again, Christian Apologetics and Research Ministries. And then I looked at two articles by Justin Taylor on the Gospel Coalition's website. One of them was an overview of Jehovah's Witness. Um, it was called something like The 11 Beliefs You Should Know About Jehovah's Witnesses When They Knock at the Door. 
And the other one was mostly just a reprint of something else. Um, it's called How to Use the Back of a Napkin to Prove to Jehovah's Witness that Jesus is God. Um, and that is actually not Justin Taylor's. That's um, by a guy named Greg Kukul. And I'm, I'm, I'll share that with yeah, I'll share that with you guys um, today as we talk about Jesus and his deity. So those are references. That is where this information is coming from. This is not Michael's brilliance. This is other people's brilliance. Uh, I'm just what is it called? Collating or yeah, I'm just bringing it together. So okay, uh, just a quick, hopefully brief history. Um, so the Jehovah's Witnesses would fit into the category of like a Christian cult. Um, you could call it another religion, but it's, it's, a, it's a Christian cult, one that perverts and distorts biblical Christianity. And like I said, rejects historic teachings of the Christian church. Walter Martin gives this definition of a cult. He says, a cult is a group of people polarized around someone's interpretation of the Bible and is characterized by major deviations from Orthodox Christianity relative to the cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith. And what's interesting about that is that I, I read Martin's definition from Josh McDowell's book, <laughs> which I just thought was really funny. Um, so the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses is a guy named Charles Taze Russell, and he was born... February 16th, 1852, and at the age of 18, so in 1870, he organized a Bible class in Pittsburgh, and six years later, in 1876, they voted him their pastor, and then he founded something called the Herald of the Morning, which became the watchtower um, announcing Jehovah's kingdom, and there's just too much to share um, if you're interested, you can go online and do some research, but his life was really wrapped in scandal. Um, he, he sold something called Miracle Wheat. Um, there was a big lawsuit about that. Um, he was divorced. Um, I'm not sure why he was divorced. I don't know what the reasoning behind that was. Um, he perjured himself under oath specifically regarding the Greek language. So there was a Baptist pastor who had written sort of a scathing uh, review of him and his ministry and what he was teaching. And uh, Russell sued him and took him to court. And the lawyer was, you know, examining him. Do you know the languages? Oh, yes, I know the languages. I know Greek. I know Hebrew, blah, blah, blah. And, and then when presented, like, with the Greek alphabet, he couldn't recognize any of the letters so, um, you know, he perjured himself under oath. He lied about delivering sermons. He toured the world saying that he was preaching these sermons, and it's been shown that he wasn't preaching sermons in these other places of the world. And so um, just a lot of scandal around him. There have been other, many other leaders since. Probably the most important is the second one, the one who took over for Russell. It's a guy named Joseph Franklin Rutherford. Um, he really took the organization to the next level um, as an organization. Under him, they became known as Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, he really ramped up the writing and the publishing. He tried to downplay and distance the Jehovah's Witnesses from Russell. They still, even to this day, don't uh, like 
being called Russellites or followers of Russell, um, even though that's what they are, their their doctrine and theology is in large part pretty much, yeah, pretty much wholly from him. Um, but because of his his past, um, Walter Martin explains. I, I was kind of like, okay, what what's important for us to know? They have five meetings a week, which happen on a they have two meetings on Sunday and then two midweek meetings, and then there's like a fifth meeting that they call a Bible study that they're supposed to go to, um, and they're supposed to do field work, getting out and telling other peoples about the kingdom. As I think about the Jehovah's Witnesses, and I was like, what? There's a couple of things that they do really well. They do really well, like getting out and evangelizing, telling people about what they believe and trying to make converts. They're good at it. And they've made millions and millions of converts. Um, They're also really good at publishing. They they crank out material. Um, I was reading some of the statistics about it. Um, So they're really good at that as well. The other thing that they're good at is they're good at knowing what they believe. They're good at knowing, they know their, their, their Bible, their version of the Bible, um, they know it really well. And so it's like, okay, well, we ought to be <laughs> as zealous about getting out and maybe not in the same way, maybe not with the same methods, but still have a zeal, an evangelistic zeal um, for this mission that God has given us to make disciples. And then also knowing our Bibles, knowing our Bibles well, uh, so that we can give a reason for the hope that we have. Um, they, the last thing I'll say about sort of just historically speaking, um, they only have one ceremony once a year. It's called the Memorial of Christ's Death. They celebrate it at Passover. And all members are um, expected to go they also invite prospective members. And this is sort of their version of the Lord's Supper. But it's strange because the, the, the elements are passed around, but, but only those who are called anointed or of the heavenly class are allowed to actually take them. And to get into that heavenly class, you had to be born um, before 1914. Because in 1914, they teach that Jesus returned and set up his kingdom. He returned spiritually, invisibly and spiritually. Um, it's a very complicated theology. Um, so, so there's very, very few people alive today yeah. who can take it. They, so they pass the elements, but nobody participates. So my boss at the pharmacy actually invited me to come to one of these and I didn't go. I'm kind of kicking myself now. I, I kind of wished that I would have just to see what it was like. Um, so, but he, he explained some of this to me. And, and I was asking about it. I was like, well, what is this? What do you do? He was explaining this. And I don't think they had anybody at his kingdom hall who could take the elements as they were passed. Um, so, and it's... it's um, this is sort of 
one of the reasons why it's like this onion, this really, really big onion where like you sort of peel back a layer and you're like, well, wait, why 1914? And then you're like, oh, because that's what, you know, and it just keeps, it's like, a, it's just deep. So let's talk about some of their um, theological errors and responses. Oh, one last comment on the, when I say it's the only ceremony that they, that they participate in, it's literally the only celebration. So they don't celebrate any other religious, national, or cultural holidays or celebrations. They don't, they don't do birthdays. They don't do birthday parties. They don't do Christmas. Christmas. They don't do Easter. They don't do any, any holidays. They don't celebrate any of those things. Um, okay, so uh, their theology denies many of the central truths of genuine historic Christianity, including the divinity of Jesus, the Trinity, Jesus' bodily res- resurrection, salvation by grace through faith, not works, uh, and eternal punishment of the wicked in hell, just to name a few of the doctrines that they uh, distort or deny. Um, so, yep. Let's talk about uh, their scriptures. Um They claim to hold that the Bible is their final authority. Uh, However, they wrote their own translation, the New World Translation. And Martin does not pull any punches as he describes this uh, book. I don't know. I've never really read a lot by him. Have any of you guys, are you familiar with his writing? Um, He used to have a show um, back when we had Real TV. Real TV. Yeah. Apparently he died in 1989. So he's no longer with us. Um, but the man pulls zero punches. So as he was talking about their Bible, he says it's not a version, but a perversion mm-hmm. of the scriptures. And I was like, I think I like this guy. <laughs> I'm like, he does not mince words at all. Um, so the Watchtower claims, uh, I want to try to give you as, you know, a flavor of some of their quotes, some of the, in their own words. Uh, the Watchtower claims, quote, um, that they are God's sole collective channel for the flow of biblical truth to men on earth. Like, they've got the truth, and they alone have the truth. Here's what Russell said of these books he called Scripture Studies. The Scripture Studies are seven volumes. <clears throat> Russell wrote the first six himself. The seventh is a compilation of his writings put together after his death by other people. So technically he wrote them, but he didn't organize it. They did. This is what he said about his scripture studies. That's what they're called. Quote, if the six volumes of scripture studies are practically the Bible, topically arranged with Bible proof texts given, we might not improperly name the volumes quote, the Bible in arranged form, end quote. That is to say, they're not mere comments on the Bible, but they're practically the Bible itself. Furthermore, not only do we find that people cannot see the divine plan in studying the Bible by itself, but we see also that if anyone lays the scripture studies aside and goes to the Bible alone, our experience shows that within two years, he goes into darkness. 
On the other hand, if he had merely read the scripture studies with their references and had not read a page of the Bible as such, he would be in the light at the end of two years because he would have the light of the scriptures. Who adds to or takes away. Um, yeah, I mean, that should be enough to just be like, like, you know, like the red flashing lights and the warning, warning. Um, it's crazy though that he is saying things like, if you just read what I wrote about the Bible, if you just read these six volumes and just stay away from the Bible itself, don't read the Bible, just read my scripture studies. It's practically the Bible. In fact, he would have the light of the scriptures. Wow. Okay. So he equates his scripture studies with the Bible. He ranks them, obviously, as more important than the Bible. Just, just making what's there obvious to us. He's saying, look, rather than reading the Bible alone, you should read my scripture studies. So he elevates his comments, which he says they're not even just comments on the Bible. Uh, but he elevates what he wrote above the Bible as more important, and he discourages people from reading their Bible. As I was studying through um, Jehovah's Witnesses and just reading some of their own comments, uh, Russell's comments, Rutherford's comments, other people, things that they've said, it became very apparent that the highest standard of authority for them isn't actually the Bible at all. It's not even their Bible. Can you guess what it is? It's not those writings even. The Watchtower Society. Yeah, whatever the, whatever's coming out of the Watchtower. Well, that's what they'll say. That's true. But the Watchtower themselves, the people who are writing these things, it's all human reason. Right. So as they reject historic Christian doctrine, well, I'll try to comment on some of these. So I, you know, I'm a guy who writes in the margins of his book. And I was writing in the margin of my book after reading several of the quotes and I drew arrows from different parts saying, reason is their standard. And then a couple pages later, Walter Martin was like, you'll notice that the sole criteria is reason. I'm like, see, that's it. Um, you'll see it as we go through. Um, as we go through, I'll try to point out some of these. Um, and here's, here's the quote from Martin. Throughout the whole length and breadth of the Watchtower's turbulent history, one criterion has been used in every era to measure the credibility of any biblical doctrine. This criterion is reason. If it doesn't make sense to them, they reject it. And you'll see that as we talk about the Trinity, for example, or if we can get all the way to hell, that's the last one on my list. Um, you'll see how they're using reason to say like, no, this can't be true because this is confusing. God wouldn't say this or God wouldn't do this. Um, so I wanted to say, how should we respond to that? Like if, if that's the case, like how, how, what, what would be a biblical response to that problem? Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know. The first I, thing that pops into my head is that, but I don't know that this would be an effective attack. But the thing I think is, well, you weren't believing what, it, what a person 
person said people are fallible, how is that that person is not authoritative? What evidence do you have yeah. that, that there's any authority whatsoever behind what they're saying and how that differs from anybody else who comes up and says whatever they want to say? Yeah, yeah, that's a great response. I don't, I'm not worried here about like, is it going to be effective or fruitful? Because that's not our. We, that's outside of our purview. Our our job is just to be faithful, um, right? Like our job is just to speak the truth, and the, God will bring the fruit or or not. You know. So yeah, I mean, like in response to this whole scripture studies thing, that's a great response. That's a great way to handle it. Um, in response to this idea of, if you're having a con- this is how my brain was working. I'll test this out on you guys and see if you think it's faulty. (laughs) If you're having a conversation with Jehovah's Witness and they are using, you find like they're denying a doctrine like the Trinity or like hell, eternal suffering in hell, saying things like, well, God wouldn't do that or why, you know, etc. It's it's exalting man's reason as the standard, as the criteria. And we have this verse from Isaiah. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, our human reason is not a uh, reliable measure or standard to evaluate God, his character, or his actions. Instead, the only reliable standard is his revelation. Amen. God has revealed himself to us. He's told us what he's like. He's told us about his character. He's told about his works. He's told about how he's going to do things in the future. Our job isn't to say like, well, that doesn't make sense. So it's not true. Or I don't like that. So it's not true. What's our job? Our job is to, as best we can, understand it and then trust and believe it. Even if we can't fully grasp the meaning of everything, right? We have to affirm what God says. Otherwise, what have we done? We've switched God's authority and our authority, and now we're the authority over God, right? It's a pretty common error, actually. It's it's not uh, unique to the Jehovah's Witnesses at all. So if you hold a Bible to them and says, is this the infallible word of God? And they say no, or they don't believe it is? Well, I think they would probably... I don't know... Again, I'm not, like, expert, but they wrote their own translation for a reason, and they believe that our, our scriptures are corrupted, right? That they're not accurate, and that they have the accurate translation. In, some, in reading some of the comments that have come out of the Watchtower, you get the sense, or they're very clear in saying um, that, that, that religion has perverted quote-unquote, true Christianity, how Jesus really intended it. And we have corrected it. We have got it right. And people before us have it wrong. So if, if you held up your Bible, they're not offensive. Like, I've never met a Jehovah's Witness who's, like, combative or offensive. So I don't know that they would be like, uh, no, your Bible is corrupted. <laughs> um even if they thought that, right? They'd probably point you to their scriptures. They might talk about the value of their own scriptures. 
Um, but behind the scenes, they absolutely think that what we have is wrong. Otherwise, why make a new translation to begin with? You, you go ahead. You, Isn't that the ultimate hubris? I mean, if you really, since they look at things through reason, yeah. wouldn't you think to exalt the, their translation above the word is the ultimate sin of hubris? Uh, I'll say yes, especially when you realize that the people who have worked on the translation itself, like biblical scholars have examined the New World Translation and found it severely wanting. The, the, there's no scholarship. They claim scholarship, but it doesn't measure up. It, it, it falls apart. So, but I'm not sure, I don't, I'm not sure how um, well-informed the average Jehovah's Witness is related to that. I don't know. Go ahead. So, um, false premise accepted I can prove anything. I can, I, can, I can make a falsity be true if you accept the false premise. So here, the false premise is reason. You know, God, the God, or in historical sense, the goddess of reason, Athena. Um, you know, it's a lead him on a track based on that premise that historically you, you have an ancient religion. In fact, it traces all the way back to ancient Greece and paganism and, and polytheism. Um, and moreover, it has a, a more recent historical counterpart in the French Revolution and all the good that came out of that. Um, and then subsequently communism and so forth. And we know that they're virul virulent anti-communists. Um, they tend to be nationalistic and have, have a lot of deep sense of pride. But then, uh, scripturally speaking, then, reason is founded in knowledge. And we know their scriptures even say knowledge puffs up. And so the end of, of reason is ultimately pride, which was what, what Rita was pointing out to. But you got to lay the breadcrumb trail and allow them step by step to pick it up again if, if the if the end of this is to try to let us reason together yeah let us reason to the end of reason and see what we get it's <laughs> typically death yeah reason to the end of reason and here's the deal we're not anti-reason no. No, no no we're pro-reason mm -hmm. we're pro-tradition we're pro-emotion experience Right, we talked about this when we went through systematic theology. If I put my fingers like this, there's four sort of sources of authority in our life, right? Scripture, reason, tradition, experience. But these three are all far beneath and subordinate to Scripture, which is above all and must be able to correct all. Because our reason, our tradition, our experience, our emotions, none of those things are infallible. They all have to be corrected, open to correction from the Word of God. That's our standard, right? But yes, we want to, and I, there's a quote in there somewhere, and I, I, did I put it in here? I think I might have. Um, this is from, this is from the Watchtower themselves. This is their own publication. Quote, 
we need to examine not only what we personally believe, but also what is taught by any religious organization with which we may be associated. Are its teaching in full harmony with God's word, or are they based on the traditions of men? If we are lovers of the truth, there is nothing to fear from such an examination. Hey, listen, even a broken watch is right twice a day. That, like, we affirm that. Like, we totally agree with that. That is 100% correct. And so it's like, hey, look, your own, your own people say you should be willing to examine your own beliefs and your organization and the people who uh, teach it according to God's word. Is it God's word or based on man's tradition? You should have nothing to... So that's like, a, hey, you know, even your own people encourage you to examine. Like, hey, let's be like the Bereans, right? Let's look at the scriptures to see if these things are so. Okay, let's let's talk about oh boy. I feel defeated <laughs> uh, by the clock. I'm defeated by the clock. Uh, let's talk about the deity of Jesus because I think this is a major this is a major issue. Keeps Christ in the center. I actually have on my list the Trinity first, um, but it's related, obviously, to the deity of Jesus because they don't believe that the Son or the Spirit are God. Um, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about this. Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that Jesus is God, but that He is a created being, the first thing created, and the most important, perhaps, but still a creature and not God. God like capital G, Jehovah. He's not God. They will say that he's a lesser, uh, though mighty God, little g, based on a mistranslation of John chapter 1, verse 1. Here's some quotes. Uh, So in their own words, Quote, Jesus, the Christ, a created individual, is the second greatest personage of the universe. Jehovah God and Jesus together constitute the superior authorities. Jesus was, quote, a God, little g, but not the almighty God who is Jehovah. NWT adds an article on John 1.1. Oh, God. Well, no, they, they point out the fact that it lacks the article and so they translate it a god right that's what we said no you said they add the article they rem- the greek is missing the article right right so we just translate it jesus was god right they say jesus was oh, a yeah. god so we're saying the same the thing they add the uh yes <laughs> yeah if you if you think of it that way they add the uh or they claim that we removed it yeah. Um, and, and this is where I think Greg Kukul's back of the napkin argument is very helpful. Um, because at the end of the day, like, none of us in this room, not even myself, are probably going to use Greek grammar to try to disprove to a Jehovah's Witness when they're at our doorstep that they're wrong, even though they are wrong. No one's going to pull out Colwell's rule. What's that? Yeah, exactly. But that's the rule of Greek grammar that shows why their interpretation is wrong. Um, we're just we're not going to do that. Um, so 
another quote. The truth of the matter is that the word is Christ Jesus who did have a beginning. Quote, the true scriptures speak of God's son, the word, as a God. He is a mighty God, but not the almighty God, who is Jehovah. Now here, listen to this quote. Certainly the apostle John was not so unreasonable as to say that someone, the word, was with some other individual, God, and at the same time was that other individual. Did you hear it? What's the criterion? Surely, or certainly, the Apostle John was not so unreasonable as to say that someone, the Word, was with some other individual, God, and at the same time was that other individual. In other words, this does not make sense. He couldn't say this because this is unreasonable. Do you notice? Yes. Um, what's the standard? Not the word. What's right in your own eyes. Exactly. Man's reason is the measure of truth, not the revelation of God. Okay. Uh, the denial of the deity of Jesus is not new. It's a very old heresy. It's called Arianism. It's been around for a long time, since the 4th century. Athanasius fought against this. Uh, sort of condemned in 325. So very very old heresy this is not new heresy it's old heresy um so let's just pause for a minute uh and ask the question i'll open it up how would you respond to some of this how would you respond to someone who says jesus is not god he was a god but he's not the god god almighty jehovah He's mighty, he's important, he's the second most authoritative person in the universe, but he's not God. What would you say? How would you respond? That's blasphemy. Why? It's blasphemy because God revealed, God gets to reveal himself for who he is. Okay. It's not up to a human being to determine whether or not it's reasonable. And I would go to that Isaiah passage that you read. Sure. You know, his ways are higher and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, and also, the authority, the, their, their, um, their faux scriptures have no authority behind them. I think it would be helpful, and this is actually something I'm not well versed in, but I want to be better sure. at, is some key points as to why the scripture is authoritative. Mm-hmm. And anyone who says that it isn't, they, then they aren't studied in it. They don't understand all of the, and I've heard these things. I just can't regurgitate them. Sure. You know what I'm saying? But, um, but to, to be able to say why the scriptures are authoritative briefly, yep. you know, point, 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 this person has Russell, Rutherford, they have come up with these volumes that are not the scripture. Right. You're believing a lie. Right. That's good. I would also say it's blasphemy because we believe that Jesus is God. Well, yes. <laughs> so I'll just sort of add that in, uh, right? But go so ahead. John 8, uh, in Jesus' tussle with the Pharisees and their sure. claim that Abraham was their father, and Jesus responds to them, not before Abraham was, I was also. 
he says, before Abraham was, I am, which is the, not only the transliteration of the name of God, but it is also a, a term of not only a pre-existence, but eternal pre-existence. Aviana, why did God say in Exodus 3, why did he give the name I am? What does that mean? We were just talking about this last night, weren't we? The night before, yeah. Do you remember? No, it was last night. Oh, okay, um, last night then. <laughs> um, it means he was always there. That's right. He was always there. He's self-existent. He exists in himself. That's why he names himself that way. Now, seven times in John, Jesus says, he calls himself, I am. Not once. This is one time. He calls himself that seven times. So that's a, a good argument. Let's, let's just step back for just a moment, okay? Jehovah's Witnesses deny the Trinity. What are they emphasizing? In their denial of the Trinity, they're emphasizing that there is... One God, Jehovah, one God. We, we affirm that, right? Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. There's one God. Yeah. Of course, we, we know that he exists in three, three persons, one essence. We're sk I skipped over the Trinity bit, but let's just recognize what Jehovah's Witnesses want to emphasize. They want to emphasize that there is one God. What do they say about Jesus from John 1.1? He's a God. Problem? Well, they're gonna they're gonna make a claim of the Psalms that says that all all create all beings created in the image of God are lesser gods. So, how many gods are there? So their own scriptures contradict themselves. Well, how many god. gods are there? Right, one. one. But they say Jesus is a god. So then they're saying there's more than one god. What do the scriptures say about all these other gods? That they're false. That they're idols, right? The, the scriptures don't deny. They, they, look, there's a whole bunch of people out there who worship all kinds of gods, little g. They're all false. <laughs> they're all they're all wrong, right? They're all they're all bad. And the scriptures affirm there's just one God. So we're not even like down the track. It's it's self-contradictory to say on the one hand there is one God. And yet Jesus is a God. You can't have it both ways. Right? Right. So that's problem number one. We're in the realm now of polytheism, not monotheism. It's one God. We're, we're not tritheistic. That's the accusation, right, from Islam and so forth. We're monotheistic. One God, three persons. They're saying, no, Jesus, there's a God, almighty God, and then there's a lesser God, Jesus. But what does the scripture say about that? So that's bad. That's not a good, that's not a good approach, right? But I don't think we're going to win them over, um, like I said, with Greek grammar. So I don't want to get too stuck on John 1.1. We could go to John 8 and the I am statements. Where else could we go? Any other scriptures coming to mind about like, now you've had the benefit of Brendan's teaching on the deity of Jesus that you can draw from, right? We've had a whole long lesson on this. You should be experts. <laughs> I'm just teasing. What's that? How would you explain that Jesus is God? Any scriptures coming to mind? He battled with the Pharisees all along trying to point to, to make comments and say things of why he, would, he and the Father are one. I mean, there's all those, those verses that are there. I and the Father are one. 
That's John 10, 30. Is, Great text. Do they take that out of their, of their Bible, though? I'm not sure if they remove that no, from the... They're going to have an answer for it somehow. Yeah, yeah they're going to have an answer for it. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, here, here's... Um, let's look at, let's look at, uh, we're going to have to use the last 15 minutes of our time. Just, we'll just talk about the deity Jesus tonight or today. Uh, and maybe we can come back to this at a future time and talk about some of these other pieces that are connected to it. Um, so John 10 30, I and the father are one. What happened after Jesus said that? Remember what the Pharisees did? Yeah. They picked up stones to stone Jesus, saying, and Jesus is like, hey, why are you going to stone me? And they say this, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. So even the Jews knew that Jesus was claiming to be God. But they didn't understand, you see. They lacked the reason. You know, they, they misunderstood what Jesus was actually saying, you see. So, again, I'm, I'm... That's fine. They misunderstood what Jesus... But they were right. Were the Pharisees right? Yes. According to Jehovah's Witnesses, the Pharisees were right. Oh, yes. According that Jesus isn't God. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So now that puts the Jehovah's Witnesses in a place of agreeing with the Pharisees. Right. That's not a good spot to be in. I hope do, do, do you know what I mean? Yes. So that's sort of a, a difficult place... Let's look at um, let's look at John one, and we'll look at Greg Kukul's back of the napkin thing, and then we'll look at a couple other texts, if we can. Can we do that? Is that okay? Sure. Okay. Ooh, I like the sound of that. Okay. Let me grab these notes here. Um. Okay. So flip open your Bibles to John chapter one. John chapter 1, and where we really are going to try to focus our time, and when I say focus our time, I mean like when we're talking with the Jehovah's Witness, we don't want to get bogged down in verse 1. We want to get to verse 3. So let me flip there too. Did you, I'm sorry, did you say John 8? John 1. John 1. Oh, John 1. So John 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So verse 3 is where we want to focus our efforts. That's, where, that's what this argument, this back of the napkin thing, hinges on. So... Um, so we just read the ESV. Here's what the, the New World Translation says for verse 3. It's essentially the exact same thing. Really? Listen. Quote, All things came into existence through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into existence. In some ways, that's clearer. Because right. the ESV is like, the ESV says, all things were made through him. That's clear. And without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, nothing was made 
apart from Jesus. Right. Nothing. Including himself. That's where we're headed. Yeah. But they're going to. That's where we're headed. That the thing refers to physical realm. That's that's what they're going to try to argue as a counter to that, as opposed to, and that Jesus was a spirit. So there's there's also an issue of the dualism that, that they play on as well. No, there's, but that's not open to them, even if that's the the the, the direction they go. The reason for that is because, uh, we'll, well, let's just walk through this, and you'll see. Hopefully, we'll see why that isn't going to fly. So. Uh, here, here we go. This is not my argument. This is Greg Kukul. Uh, so I'll do the best I possibly can. All right, so first thing you do is you draw a big box. And that box represents everything that exists. Everything that exists. And then we're going to divide that box in half. And... On the one hand, on the one side, we're going to say, uh, we're going to label it all things that never came into being. Or you could put all things that were never made, right? And so what goes in that box? God, correct. If they say God, that is the correct answer. God is the only thing that was never made, that never came into existence. Okay? So we have God. We want to write God in there. God alone is eternal, uncreated, self-existent. Then we want to label this other side. What? What do you think we should label this? All things that were made, or um, all things that exist that came in. No, because all things that exist is the large box. Oh yeah. All things that came into being, right? So just remember, the, the, the whole box is everything that exists. Everything that exists. Now, if you look at that, this whole box encapsulates everything that exists. On the one hand, all the things that never came into being, that existed forever, and all the things that did come into being, all the things that were made. That exhausts all categories. That's the, that's the purpose of this drawing. So, once we get here, we ask them, or no, we, we, we want to say what the verse is telling us, what, what John 3 is telling us, is that all of the things in this box were made by, what does the verse say? Who? Him. Him, Him who? Him who? Jesus. Jesus. So we want to say, we want to make it clear that Jesus, all these things in this box yes. were made by Jesus. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All these things were created through Jesus. So we could write that. Uh, all created.
created through through Jesus. We want to make sure, okay, do you do you understand? Yes, understand. That's what the verse says. Okay. Now we can write then in this side all created things. So we've got, we have all created things. Now, everything, everything that exists is going to fall into one of these two boxes. Everything. And we want to get to the place where we ask, um, and, and the, reason, the reason for that, in, in, like, so let me step back. The reason that everything has to fit into this box it's because of the law of the excluded middle. All this, these two options exhaust all possible categories. There's no third category. And the law of non-contradiction. You can't be both created and never created at the same time. So the wording on that, I, I would argue, is not good. Because arguably what you're saying is that God never came into being. That's not true. I mean, the Kalam cosmological argument that, that William Lane Craig uses speaks of beginning to exist. And it actually uses the, the New World Translation operative word of existing, okay? So all things that never began to exist, never had a beginning in their existence, is really the proper way to word that. And that all things that began to exist sure. is on the other side. Sure, fine, great. Came into existence. Yeah. Or had a beginning, or what have you. Never. Uh, <laughs> that's a double negative. I was going to say never not existed, always existed. Had no beginning, yeah. Sure. That's great. Um, take it up with Greg Kugel. <laughs> <laughs> Send him a letter or something. Um, <laughs> okay. When we get to this point, the goal then is to figure out where does Jesus fit? Where does Jesus go? Now, by their own scripture, he has to go on the other side. Exactly. But that's not where they're going to want to put him right away. Right. They're going to want to put him in this box Correct. because that's what the Watchtower teaches, that he was a created being, Right. right. And so how do we help them understand that he can't go in this box? Can't create yourself. Say what? Can't create yourself. Exactly. That's an absurdity. That's a logical absurdity. All of the things that were created, right? Jesus created them. Therefore, he cannot be one of those things that were created. Does it make sense? Mm -hmm. So we want to help them say, look, all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Or as their scripture says, all things came into existence through him. And apart from him, not even one thing came into existence. Not even one thing. So by their own scriptures, New World Translation, we're not even like resorting to, you're avoiding all of the like, Translation, the Greek grammar, we're just going to, even your own Bible doesn't allow you to hold this position that Jesus is created. It's not reasonable. 
It's not reasonable, right? If we're using reason as our standard, right? This should hopefully make sense. Correct. It's absurd that someone would exist before he existed and create himself and bring himself into existence. That's not a logical argument. So we want to point this out. Um, and John is saying the same thing in two different ways. Now, objections. There's, there's an objection that they might make according to their own Bible. Again, this is not from me. This is Greg Kukul. They might say something like, um, okay, so at this point, <laughs> they might want to put him here, but we've argued that they can't put him here. They might want to put him outside this box, but we can't. Why? Because this box covers everything that exists. Yeah, if he's outside the box, then he's over God. He doesn't exist. This box right. contains everything that exists. Mm -hmm. There is no category. Like, this is exhaustive, right? So just keeping that in mind, right? But they might still object and say, well, you missed this phrase, apart from him. So I thought this was a pretty... <laughs> I don't know if you'll get this, but you should be prepared for it. Uh, this is them, Jehovah's Witness, saying something like, well, this means that Jesus is not included in the count. No, get, let me give you an illustration. It's like saying, apart from Billy, the whole family went to Disneyland. So you don't mean that Billy's not part of the family. You just mean that he's not included in the count. They all went to Disneyland with the exception of Billy. So that's saying... Every created thing was created by Jesus with the exception of Jesus himself. Jehovah created Jesus first, and then Jesus created everything else. That's the argument. Now, here's the answer to that. That objection depends on being able to replace the phrase apart from Jesus with the phrase excluding Jesus. But if you take that phrase as if they're synonymous and you put it in there, we can try that replacement and see what it looks like. With, with the exception of Jesus, nothing came into being that has come into being. With the exception. What is that actually saying? It means that Jesus is the only created thing that exists, which is not true because we're all here. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it doesn't work. It, it, when, you, when you replace it in the, in the verse, you see that's not what the phrase apart from him means. It can't mean that because as soon as you plug that in, it doesn't work. It, it means rather apart from his agency, apart from his work. It's like saying apart from me, you're never going to get to San Diego because I have the car, right? You can't do it apart from me. That's what apart from me means in this context. So that's the answer. Jesus is the creator. He is God. Um, there's a more sophisticated rebuttal. I'm not sure you're going to hit, hit it. Uh, I'm summarizing it like this. They might say something like, well, John doesn't specify the time. When it says in the beginning, it could be translated in a beginning. In other words, there was a time when Jesus was created, and then in another beginning, a separate beginning, Jesus made everything else. It's a more sophisticated Aryan-type argument for the... Jesus being a created creature. The problem with that is, is if you go back to verse 3, let's be relentless to look at the text. 
the phrases all things and nothing do not have any time restrictions at all. It's, they're all inclusive. They're all encompassing. So that's really not a way out either. Genesis 1-1 doesn't give him that out either. No, because that's exactly what he's referring to. Right. Right? So he's going back to in the beginning, i.e. Genesis 1-1, the beginning of everything. Right? Um, so if here, I'll just give like a in most apologetic conversations that I've had, even with fellow Christians, like folks that I know who are Christian, who were like sort of debating theology, one of the most common things that people do when you start to press them down to a meaning of a text that they don't like is to jump to another text. It's a very common strategy. Like, yeah, I, okay, yeah, but what about this text? And what about this text? And what about this text? So for us, we want to just gently say, well, no, you, we need to figure out what this text means first. Like, I'm, I'm happy to go look at these other texts with you, but let's, can we, can we agree what this is saying first? So don't, don't let them make you play whack-a-mole, <laughs> you know, where it's like, what about this text? Yeah, but what about this text? You know, like, we can, we can go look at all those texts, but we, we need to know, we need to say, like, you still have to answer, what does this mean? Like, what does this say? So the focus on that is, I mean, be relentless. We, we, we cannot apologize for being brutally relentless at attacking false premises. Right. And, and hold their feet to the fire on their false premises, make them audit until they abandon it. And I, I want the same thing for me. If I'm holding on to a false premise, attack me. Attack the premise. Yeah. Don't attack me. Don't, Don't attack, attack the person. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But attack yeah. that premise and be merciless in it so that I can be, I have the opportunity to change my mind. And that's a it's it's good for us to remember. Uh, don't be discouraged if the person that you're having a conversation with doesn't drop their literature and confess no Jesus and and become a believer like most people they're not going to immediately abandon their positions what we want to help them do is give them something to think about as they leave as they go and we want that we want to hopefully i i would love to say like hey why don't you come back let's talk more um have you ever met an ex jw yeah one it was yeah one it was very very difficult oh no kidding yeah very difficult. They were at a, they were essentially at the place where they had abandoned all oh, all trust in the Bible at all, all trust in any kind of religious authority figure, and rightly so. Like I can sympathize with that because you've been lied to. You see that you've been lied to. You see how the twisters the the twisters the scriptures have been twisted. You've been taught to use reason as your final authority, as your standard. And so here I am, a religious authority, strike one. I'm trying to argue from the scriptures, strike two. Uh, it was very, very difficult. Now, he, he was only out uh, six months. Um, so fresh out. In fresh in the um, like when I left the Catholic Church in college 
I went through a phase of being very angry with the Catholic Church. Like, militantly angry. I told you half the story. And, and then I've, I'm still no less uh, upset about the fact that they don't preach the, the real gospel. But I'm not in the same... I can address that without like it being so hot. It was more heat than light. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. And heat without light, that's no good. We need both, right? So a, 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 just a quick testimonial to the other side of that. I worked with a woman who was XJW. Yeah. And this woman carried a Bible everywhere that she went. It was fully marked up, fully yeah, filled with papers, bookmarks, notes, all this sorts of stuff. She was a full confessing believer who relied the the scriptures were her anchor. Yeah, praise God. Amen. And so there is a other There's side another side to that story, yeah. And and I read something on a website, but I didn't um, I couldn't confirm it and I didn't really want to spend time looking into it, but the website was was had a bunch of statistics from the Jehovah's Witnesses themselves that they were organizing into graphs and stuff and I was like, okay, I didn't look thoroughly to see, but they were essentially making the claim that Je- the Jehovah's Witness as an organization has the highest turnover rate of any religion. Yeah. Like people going in and coming out, going in and coming out, which I thought was very interesting. Um, so, okay, other scriptures that you could go to, we only have a, we, we should be done here, but a couple more minutes. John twenty twenty eight. This one's good for a couple of reasons, because the Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus was not bodily raised. He was raised spiritually, but not physically. And he's not going to return physically, but only spiritually. Um, but this idea, when Thomas meets him and puts his hands in his, he touches his hands in his side. And of course, Jesus eating fish is also helpful because Jesus is specifically trying to make it clear I'm not a ghost I'm not a spirit I am alive I have a body give me some fish like let's eat let's have some dinner (laughs) you know Um, but this is good because Thomas sees Jesus physically resurrected and he exclaims my Lord and my God and the my God there is theos without the article it's exactly the same as John 1 and so they, it forces them into, or no, sorry, it's articular. It's articular, which, which means it has to be the, Jeho- the Jehovah God, the God. Um, so, but Jesus never rebukes them. Jesus never says, hey, no, you're wrong. Actually, he pronounces a blessing on anyone in the future who is able to make the same conclusion without having seen him, touched him, etc. Um, there are, Many, many other scriptures. Um, we probably should talk about um, some of the ones that they use to address that he wasn't. So John fourteen twenty eight, they point to, my father is greater than I. Of course, Jesus is speaking of his earthly existence in submission to God the Father. Uh, to do, he came to do his will. He's not speaking of his essence or being, but his earthly ministry. Colossians 1.15, Jesus is called the firstborn of all creation, which they think means first created. Um, the trouble is, is that, <clears throat> and then, this is so bad, they insert the word other 
into the text, which does not exist in the Greek. So they would say, by him all other things have been created. Because mm-hmm. if he created all things, right. we're right back to Kukul's back of the napkin argument, but just in a different passage. Like, look, Jesus created all things. It says all things. So that's, again, a, a faithful response there. And then John 1.1, 1, 1, we're not going to get into the Greek. There's a good response to that, but I don't, I don't think it's that helpful for us. Remember, we're trying to do street-level apologetics here. Um, so we have to stop. There are many other things related to the Jehovah's Witnesses that they teach that are false. We barely scratch the surface. They deny the Trinity. They deny the deity of the Holy Spirit. Any study of the Trinity, though, the, the references that talk about each one being a separate person, the references about each one having the attributes of God, those are all texts you could use. Um, but when it comes right down to it, the deity of Jesus is the most important. Why? Because if Jesus wasn't God, there's no sufficient atonement for sin. There is no hope. Man cannot atone for his own sin. A man cannot give a ransom for the life of another human being or for himself. Jesus had to be God to take the punishment uh, for sin. He had to be both man, because man needs to be punished for their sin. That's Hebrews chapter 2. And he also had to be God at the same time. Um, Go ahead. So... uh the 19th century produced a lot of uh, unique, in fact, I should specify, 19th century New England produced a lot of unique uh, quasi-Christian cults. And I would even, I would call JW a quasi-Christian cult because- Quasi-Christian, yeah. They're really- It's not Christian. But but it, it has as its root a lot of the existential thinking that questioned uh, the, the foundation of and the authority of scripture, and therefore they could take um, uh, a lot of the uh, Unitarian ideas and then, you know, go off to the races. Again, you can start with a false premise. You have a diversity of uh, lies that emanate from it, whether it's LDS or uh, Shakers or Christian Science or what have you. Shakers. They're, they're all, you know, they have a common seed right there in 19th century New England. Yeah. I think the best comment was was right at the beginning. Our goal isn't to sort of convince them or change their mind about an argument, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Our goal is their salvation because mm-hmm. that's what's at risk. Mm-hmm. They're believing a false gospel. Mm-hmm. They're believing a false God. We want, Lord willing, to share with them the truth and share with them the gospel. One thing that we didn't talk about but they also believe in works as part of salvation. Mm-hmm. So if you're not going to touch the deity of Jesus right off the bat, another very worthy place to go would be, hey, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, and let's talk about what salvation means and why it's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, etc. Because it gets right to the gospel. I got to pray. Lord, thank you for this conversation today. Lord, thank you um, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, that we might have salvation through repentance and faith in his name. God, we um, pray and ask that you would anchor us in the truth of your word, that we might know your word, 
know what we believe and why we believe it so that we might give a reason for the hope that we have, uh, speaking to those that we encounter with gentleness and respect, that you might grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.